all right guys uh we're here again for another episode now this episode happens to be the last founder episode like the 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 episode where we have like a founder come share their story this is the last one however we're expecting to hear from an expert in our next episode and i have some uh really i i I don't want to spill too much but just know that we we, we there's someone really good coming right apparently two people coming into that episode to talk more about what they're doing the ecosystem and lessons that can be learned and opportunities that are available to you founders okay so don't just go on holiday come back for the next episode anyways my episode with victor daniel the founder of nearpays and your rider was a tremendously beautiful one many high moments and moments of laughter littered all over the episode um story the story that he shared about you know how he started the challenge that he faced and the amount of money he had to spend to actually put together this um product that he launched into the market and how it took him eight months to figure out the next way forward especially when what he brought into the market wasn't making sense and one thing i really love about this episode is that um we went as practical as possible so that you can know what to think about if you're actually thinking of launching into that space and how to properly do an mvp i think that's something that really popped up here because he spent about five to six million naira trying to get the first product out and after getting the product out it did not work so lots of lessons to learn okay so let me not spill too much get into the episode let's enjoy this wonderful story of an incredible founder based in abuja sharing his story about his company or two companies in this case (laughs) all right then cheers hello everyone i'm cynthia ichisom and welcome to startup stories with cynthia this is where we talk about the real relatable inspiring and exciting journey of startup founders so let's get straight into it i mean before we get into like the nitty-gritties of like your journey what is near near pays and you know what does near pays actually do and you know what inspired you to 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 actually do this okay cool i i had my first startup urida and um, we had partners a lot of corporate partners and um, some of our partners own product catalog system where you can shop online and we had uh, fleet guys that would go and deliver parcels to them so at, at a certain point um, we were having issues with cash because whenever um, there's kind of like a, a prepaid order and, and you have to use your POS, the, the challenges we're having was that um, when they go to make those deliveries, then they have issues with either network or um, the POS might possibly be down, maybe from battery power and we, it was impacting negatively on the business. So it was a problem at that time we had to solve. So shortly I, I went to Lagos and I was looking at 
BRT buses in Lagos. So if you have maybe seen one or you've, you've used one before, you notice that they have a card called Kauri and you just swipe the card and you make payment and you get into the bus. So I, I was very um, passionate about how the system was working. I had to go and research. Then I stumbled into NMC, um, another word for contactless payment. And uh, I'll go deep into it later on. But from that, I was able to pick out one or two and uh, come up with a solution for the problem I was facing in Eurider, which was with POS and um, came up with NearPays. Um, simply, NearPays is um, it's just a product that grants you, um, how would I put it? Okay, on a simple term, it just helps you convert or grants your phone the capacity to charge a card, simple term. So with um, current technology that is already inbuilt on your phone, we just enhance it and provide your mobile phone with the ability to charge any card using NFC or scan to pay. So your mobile phone becomes your POS and more. Mm. Really, really interesting. So you don't even need to get like a new device or go to the bank to get like a new uh, gadget. You can turn your phone into a POS machine and accept payments from anybody anywhere. Yes, exactly. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So let, let's go back in time for a bit, right? Um, what was it like growing up? in your house um very very early on what do you what was like your earliest memory um living with your family and you know and all of that okay um i'm the last <laughs> I'm the last child <laughs> of um i have four elder sisters hmm. and you know being the only boy at times can be very boring <laughs> <laughs> so it's more like a I, I only had sisters, you know. There was nobody I could really relate to. My my dad was not always at home and very busy, so I, I just had my sisters. But it was interesting. Um, a few days ago, I, I had flashback from my childhood, and I was trying to, you know, think about how did I even get into entrepreneurship? And then I remember when I was in, I think, primary five, I I had rabbit at that time. Going from primary five towards just one, just two, I had rabbit, and I would you know take care of this rabbit and mm-hmm. sell it. Then to I was still in Zaria, so mm-hmm. I was tell it to preview students that needed it for practical, practical. or yeah, <laughs> and I had just two male and female. Uh, it kept kept on growing. Then I had one more, and from rabbit I had little pigeons and I, I I had that going until I had to leave because I went to a boarding school. Mm. So it was quite interesting. I grew up in Zaria, Zaria it's a very quiet community, not so much activity I would say. And um it was very interesting. I I needed to help myself um you know learn a lot of things. Um Majorly because I was so interested in business and there was nobody to learn from, so I had to learn one of the things on my own. Hmm. I mean, 
I'm really curious to know what sparked that. Like, why did you think of rabbits? Like, you know, grooming the or you know taking care of the rabbit to the point where you can actually sell it. Um, was there any inspiration around you to even consider doing a rabbit business, right? Um, at that time, and how old were you then? Uh, I, I think I was like ten. Honest. Okay, I was like ten. So my my elder sister walked up to me and she was like, "Okay, she has some money. It was on my birthday, and and she asked me, what do you want for your birthday?'" And uh, she was taking me to to have my hair cut now. At that time, you know, only boy, mm-hmm. And she asked, "So what do you want for your birthday?" And I look at this rabbit there in the cage, very close by, and I told her, "This is what I want." I was like, no, you can have something else, maybe a fancy, a fancy dress. And I no, 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 I want, I want a rabbit too. She didn't have enough money. She got me one. She got me a meal first. Mm. So I had just one, and you know, I was able to trouble my dad. I, I needed one more, and yeah. I had an additional female to eat. And it was so nice, you know. Every morning before going to school, I would make sure okay, these guys are. Uh, I have been able to feed them. Uh, my my dad has background in agri, so I'm going to ask him, what do I need to take care of the rabbit? Do I need any special nutrients? And, you know, you tell me, okay, there's a particular kind of grass in my like or a vegetable, mm-hmm. and I'll go scouting, you know, try to feed them. It was more like watching something I started up grow. Mm-hmm. So it was very interesting relating to them. And I didn't honestly started up with a mindset of business it was mm-hmm. okay i just wanted to see how this works out so when you were multiplying of course i had to sell <laughs> and they're selling off a few matured ones to get new ones and i had saved some money so i had pigeons by the side mm. so t- i mean you've mentioned your dad now i'm giving you advice on how to take care of your rabbit um so tell us about you know your mom and your dad, were they entrepreneurs or were they just normal civil servants um, or working working dads and working moms? Okay. So at early stage, from stories I heard, my, my dad's side of the business with my mom was, I think, a, a party rice business. But, you know, with giving free stuff for to family, oh, okay, you have a right business, I need a bag of rice today, and I will pay you later kind of stuff. <laughs> so the business actually crashed because wow. from from stories I heard from my mom, she was just, you know, pay me later, pay me later, you can take a bag of rice and pay me later. And of course, when, when you own business with that kind of mindset, it wouldn't go fast. So, but, but yes, uh, there was a business at, at start for it didn't go far because I guess they didn't have it all planned to be a business student so strict about how to position their income, how to handle skills and all. So when it when that ended, what did they go on to do? Okay, so my dad was after that, even while he was in the business, he was a civil servant in with with um with the federal government was working. I told you he had he had the background of uh, from agriculture, so he was working in, uh, in the agricultural sector. And my mom was in textile, 
Mm. Um, for people who would still remember, there was something called Arriva Textile and Unitech, then in Kaduna. That was like a very huge or big textile industry at that time. So my mom was working there and my dad was going to Agri. And um, when he retired, he went full-time into ministry. Mm. Wow. Wow. So now you had one from, like, there was this story that was going around about, you know, your parents going into business. Um, and then you started selling rabbits, right? Do you know how much you made at that time? Hmm. Uh, okay, I, I had very poor bookkeeping. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I can remember I had I had enough money because at a certain time um, during Christmas, I could I could drop up some money. I, I remember giving my mom some money and say, okay, use this to, you know, gather up wow. some things for the house. And she was like, ah, this is So uh, I had, I, I didn't really have needs. I, I didn't need to buy clothes for myself or anything for myself. But I had enough money. I wasn't too strict with my savings also because, you know, when you sell, you'd be like, okay, mommy, keep this money for me. And of course, the money is gone. <laughs> Except you need something. So most times I, I would um, hand over the money back to my mom or my dad to help me keep it. Once in a while, I, I can buy stuff for myself. Just end up with, you know, stomach infrastructure, buying food and, and drinks and all. But mm-hmm. it wasn't much. But at least I had, I had good income coming from it because I had um, good sales and there was a market for it. People needed rabbit for experiment in school, and I had one or two people who would buy it for personal consumption. Then. <laughs> so, how big did this your small farm, your animal farm? How big was it? How how big did it grow into? Okay, it's too funny how they were expanding so fast. I know I had a first small cage, and. I had to have another one. Then I had to split the one I had because the males were attacking the females when they had little ones. So I had to have the when the rabbit has you know little I don't know what they are called <laughs> the baby. <laughs> I had to move the mother and the child to another to another cage so that the male would not keep attacking and, and all of that. So it, it actually grew big. And um, wow. when I had to add pigeons to eat, I had to have a second cage for that also. Wow. This this was like a big business. So what happened? Because obviously you're not you're not you're not <laughs> taking care of the rabbits anymore. So what happened? Yeah. Okay, so I, I had that going very well till GSS two and I was writing my junior YX soon. I had less time to think about rabbits because yeah. I, I, I was doing all the work here. So they, they reduced the number at first, wow. but the business was still going until I finished my like and you know, my my parents were like, okay, you're no more going to a day school, you're moving to boarding house. Mm. So it was so sad. I had to catch out some mm. and give out some to some friends to wear and sell. And I had, I, I just like sold at a very cheap rate. Because mm. of course I was going to school and there was no one to take care of, so I moved to boarding house, and that was how the business went. Wow! So we're gonna we're gonna get into the boarding house experience, but how did you get 
you know how did you convince people to actually buy what you what you were offering like did you had you had to go to abu zara the school in itself or you told your sisters to help you do the marketing how did you get customers to actually buy your rabbit okay so at first my sister was already in school so i had rabbit and her friend and I, I think she was in biochemistry. I can't remember the department. So she was like, um, I need to wrap it for a practical. And it just flashed back to my sister. Oh, my, my brother has rabbit too. You can come and check. And, you know, she came. She saw the healthy rabbit. Of course, I was treating them well. And, you know, <laughs> possibly I was even sending it cheaper than everyone. I don't even know. So she was happy she bought one from me. I was a little child. <laughs> and... You know, she referred her friends that also needed, of course, I guess it was maybe like a class practical stuff yeah. too. Of course, no, not just one person would need that. People kept on coming and um, so the world went round. Like, of course, there any publicity or any thought. So, you know, from one person to another, like that, and one, from days, people would be like, well, I need to rabbit out. Okay, okay, they're not matured yet. Mm. Then I have grown-up ones, I'll let you know. Mm. And uh, I, I, I always had, you know, market for sale from, from just that one person. Mm. Wow, just one person and it went viral. Can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so now you have to shut this down and get into school. Um, yeah. What was secondary school like for you? Did you engage in any business activity or you were just more focused on your education and probably like a little bit of extracurricular activities like sports or something like that? What was, what was school like for you? Um, <clears throat> so I I went, I, I left home to boarding school at like SS1. For me now, I was a little bit of a mommy's boy, you know, funny boy. <laughs> <at home. laughs> so um, my first email, my first thing, sorry, was a little bit sad for me. Nobody, you know, sick yeah. you know, just, yeah, only locked up somewhere. So mm. I, I wasn't even thinking business at that time. Uh, I was, you know, in between living a new life and uh, my education. So my my first term result at that time was even very bad. Wow. First term, I, I mean. And then when I was able to, you know, transition well, then I was also having another challenge in sticking with art or science mm. or, or, or commercial class. Mm. So it was more of education for me at that time. I had a lot running through my mind whether I should stick with art or I should go to mm. science. And I've always wanted to study agri. On the mm. other hand, I was very, very good at mm-hmm. uh, On another aspect, I love literature. So it was very confusing. <laughs> then because I had business, I want to know about bookkeeping. I want to know about accounting. Yeah. So it was it was very confusing. I remember one time I spent five days in art class. I thought, you know, I don't like this one. I spent <laughs> some days like, okay, okay, uh, until I finally just, okay, yeah, I, I want to go with science and I think the science. And what was your dream? Like, what did you want to be in, when you grew up? Like, they asked you that question. What do you want to be when you grow up? What, what, what was your response to that question that time? Okay. Um, I'll take you a little bit back. While, when, when I was still very, very little, because of Nollywood exposure and I'm watching Nollywood movies, and I always noticed that chiefs in movies are where all the guys. So when you ask me, what do you want to be your point? What do you want to be in group? I'll tell you, I want to be a chief. 
Because when 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 you achieve something, chief Victor, it means you have money. Um, but I wasn't certain. I wasn't very sure at that mm-hmm. time. But I knew I I I was very sure it was going to be in science. Mm-hmm. But I, I had a lot in my mind. I loved acting. I loved acting. So I always. Even at the time when I was not used to school at my first term, I feel every other subject apart from I, I, mm. I just loved acting. And I had also a passion for computer. I was very always very good with computers right from childhood. So it was I, I wasn't at that time, so it was more like it would be one of these two. Either I study agri engineering or I go to computer science. So sorry to interrupt this amazing story that you're listening to, but I have to, I have to, because I need to tell you something. I need to tell you something. So this season, season four, we're bringing in five founders and we're having one interesting episode with an expert. Yes, because it's really important that we discuss some of the challenges of the ecosystem, the African ecosystem, and also discuss ways we can solve those problems because, you know, these founders and every single stakeholder is involved in the ecosystem and we also need to think about ways to improve it and make it better so i have someone lined up for this season and they are doing an awesome job i can't even deny the fact they're doing an awesome job and i'm so happy that they accepted to show up and talk more about the work they're doing and how we can further replicate the model that they have built for you know as many as many african countries as we can so yes Yes, we're going to have an expert session. That's what it is. Just look out for it. It's usually the, the last episode on any season. So, yeah, just be on the lookout for that. And last but not the least, Startup School is going to be happening every single month for the rest of the year in 2023. This means that you can go to the link in any of my bio, Instagram bio, Twitter bio, LinkedIn bio and sign up sign up for the next cohort anyone that you can be a part of april starts really soon in april um the cohort for april is going to be starting soon and the idea is just to make sure that we teach as many founders as possible about the nitty-gritties the early you know the basics it's funny how many people don't know the basics but yeah give them the basics for free so that they can know what to do when building that their company so if you know anyone that needs it Tell them to find me, Cynthia Inchisom, anywhere on any social media platform. Click the link in my bio and sign up. All right, Nemi gets you back into this amazing episode. All right, Nemi. Cheers. Okay, so when I had to make a decision for Jam, I picked up the form. My my parents wanted me, of course, now to to pick a business area was close to home, but you know I first was not very very cool living home, but after spending a few years in boarding house and I had a few of my colleagues, you know, choosing some institutions far away from home, I also wanted to explore. Mm-hmm. So I I. What I did first was I, I my first choice was um Lautech Ogumoshore. Then I made my second choice ABU. And at that time ABU ABU Zaya was like 
the big boys of the north and they don't take you for second choice uh, of course which i knew and because i wanted to explore mm -hmm. so i did that and and also at that time i got close to my to a computer science teacher so he gave me a book in school i can't remember the name i read that book and it inspired me more about computer science like i've always had a you know i told you i had a thing for for technology or let's like say computers yeah. at that time yeah. so he inspired me more and i just made my decision today okay i was going to go for computer science so it was computer science and i wanted to go far away from home that's interesting so where did you end up finally <laughs> Funny how the path was never straight. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I, I didn't get into law tech at that time. So I, I enrolled in a pre-degree. And after starting the pre-degree, it was more like once you go to the pre-degree, you can get access into 100 level after about a 12 months or, or less. So afterwards, I was given the course I never expected. I was giving animal something something husbandry or something like that. I can't even remember. And you know, I I already started falling in love with computer science, and I didn't want to for an answer, so I I, I left. Then I applied. Yeah, yeah, I didn't I didn't continue through. So then I I went to I went to University of Illinois. I also tried, and I did not get computer science. Wow. <laughs> but like just just take any course but i i wanted computer science or nothing and my parents wanted me to they were going to try boeing university but they could not afford it at that time my dad already stopped work and he was going to full time so the, the funds were not there i wanted a private i wanted either boeing or covenant but they couldn't afford it at that time so it was it was not so nice for me because i wanted computer science or nothing after much trial. The only institution that gave me computer science was Square State Polytechnic, and I took it. And you what? I took it. Wow. <laughs> so I I got in there, and I started my journey in computer science. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. uh, so, of course, I finished my my diploma. After finishing my diploma, I already started. Before then, I started taking courses in Microsoft, Cisco, and also I had already built my fair building my CV from day one in school. Mm. And um, I, I will always travel to Lagos from school to write exams because some of the centers were not available in Israel, so I had to go to Lagos to take some of these exams. Mm. And um, one, one day while I was um, taking one exam, I, I saw an institution here in Lagos that um, they were training people in, for for um, telecommunications. So it was just like a, they had just a few slots while I was taking exams. So mm. I jumped into it. Mm. And after about, I, I needed, it, it was like a long time, more like a degree kind of thing. So right, so afterwards, I had to finish school. So when I once I finished, I went for my IT, and immediately I completed my IT. I started this program it was more like a degree. Mm -hmm. 
So I moved down from from uh, after my IT down to Lagos to start up a new line entirely in telecommunications. Wow. So that's so was, why you were doing your polytechnic in Quara. You you just moved to Lagos. Yes. To, to do this. Was there yes, anybody yes. in Lagos at that time that you knew that you could stay with? Were you, I mean, because you're, you're living from Kaduna, like, you know, this Kaduna guy going all the way to Lagos. No fears like that? No comments like that? Okay, so at that time, one of my sisters had gotten married and she moved her home down to Lagos. So she was staying in Lagos. I was staying at her place while I was taking this. But, but most times, I could, I, I had to always stay over. They had like something like a, like a hostel. So I had mm. to always stay over the hostel. Okay. But it was, it was, um, how would I put it? Kind of tough. Telecommunications ha- has a lot of calculations and engineering to it. So I had to stay back more and, you know, meet with my, my colleagues and learn one or two things so I could finish up well. Wow. Wow. And then how was it? You finished up really good and you got a job immediately after? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'll tell you a bit about that. So I finished up. After finishing, there was an avenue for internship. A, a, a certain company were, were taking intent. So I decided to try. The salary was small, you know, mm-hmm. but I give it to intent. <laughs> okay, at that time, it was, I can't remember the year, but I had to check. It was 30,000 era at that time. Mm. And a lot, a lot of my peers were like, ah, no, 30,000 because it was too small. Mm. But for me, it was like, so I finished school, I have the knowledge. Let me at least, you know, mm. have small avenue to, you know, practice what I've learned so it doesn't just die off. Yes. <laughs> I, I took it and it was tough, even though we were intense. We were working all around the clock and working mm. and working. And from that, I was able to build up my skill and build up my CV. So at least I have, I, I had um, experience, sort mm. of. And from there, I moved on to another company that took me full time. And the salary was yeah, about like 60K. was still mm-hmm. small. Mm. You know, like a small, very small company also. And I built up my CV again. Then mm. I had my first big company, international company, Huawei. Mm. So I got, I got a job um, in VI. This big firm was wow, wow, also, you know, looking good. They had everything you can ever think of. It was more like I was in another country, it was (laughs) kind of because the office was wow, everything was cool. And I built up from there. Then I took, I had, I was taking like um, small jobs, so I took a small job with NTN, then I had a small job with Bloom, then I had a small job with. Um, nine mobile, yeah. Mm. Then from there, I had an opportunity to work with a Finland company, Nokia. So I left Huawei, went to Nokia, mm-hmm. and and I took up a small job again with Airtel Nigeria, mm-hmm. and uh, I took up one of the first five G projects in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. That was way a lot of years back. <laughs> so I had, <laughs> I, I was part of the team that took up the first five G test ever in Nigeria wow. for MTN. I also did um, um, some of um, the 5G um, installations you have currently. Mm. Which are, I was part wow. of the team. So, 
yeah, that's been my telecoms journey. Wow, wow. So you had a stable job in Lagos. Yeah. What made you leave that to start an early stage company in Nigeria? Okay. <laughs> so I was, I, I was in Lagos at that time, you know, I'd moved to Nokia. So I've I, I been working with Nokia for a couple of years. <clears throat> Excuse me. So working with Nokia came COVID-19, that was 2020. Mm. And I, I, I was no more staying with my sister. I had enough finance to get my place. So I was staying alone. Mm. And I, I went to the office one day. I was in the lift. And because I work with a lot of foreigners, everybody was, okay, who pays the button? You know, kind of COVID-19. Nobody wants to touch buttons at all. <laughs> so <laughs> it was getting, you know, the fear was getting so high. I went to the office and everywhere was looking like, a lab or a hospital, everybody with face masks, and mm. you don't want to share pain, you don't don't touch my laptop, kind of. Everyone just <laughs> trying to isolate themselves. So I, I kind of saw, okay, there's a high chance that we might have to move into lockdown. Mm. So when the mail came forth and they were like, okay, you can start working remotely from home. Mm. It was going to be very boring for me. My sister at that time had already moved out of Lagos mm. because her job also um, had uh, her, her and her husband actually had to move out because they were now working remotely. So they left mm. Lagos and went out. So I decided to go stay with a family. So I had another sister in Abuja. Mm. So I, I left Lagos. I went to Abuja. I was working remotely, still with Nokia. Mm. And during that time, because we, we had to stay at home, most times we buy stuff. <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. Most times we had to shop from um, from malls, and we have dispatcher that bring the items. So I was watching all this going on, and a couple of days, my sister would have to argue about change with the dispatch rider. Some days they would misplace the item. Some days he would not even come at all. Mm. So I was like, okay, it looks like this business is very, very essential because at COVID-19, a lot of businesses had to close. Mm. While you had a lot of businesses that went high, yeah. talking about Zoom and virtual meetings and all. Mm. So I was like, okay, if logistics had an opportunity to skyrocket during lockdown, why a lot of businesses almost died or were just surviving barely, then I think I have to kind of find out more about logistics. And that was how I got so interested in logistics. I, I made more findings. And to call the long story short, when I fell in love with logistics, I resigned from Nokia and went straight into full-time. Wow. Business. You know, that's one of the crazy things about, um, you know, some of the founders that I've had the opportunity to interact with on this podcast, you know, the fact that, most of them have this Moses story, right? Leaving all the pleasures and wealth of Egypt to go into the wilderness in, to find the land that you have not seen before, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, like, you're, yeah. you're leaving your stable job at Nokia, you know, an international company to, you know, explore this industry that you fell in love with. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm curious to know what kept you because I'm obviously you probably experienced like a lot of challenges, right? We're going to talk about what you built, but I want to know 
what kept you going? Like why you did not look back? Hmm. Okay, I I did look back. I won't lie, because I had a very juicy salary with Nokia, and I I left that all part of something new. And when I started fourth my first pro- my first startup, your rider, mm. it was tough, very very tough. There are days without money, like ah, what is this, Victor? <laughs> do, do, I, do I go back? You know, I, I could just normally not not that I was so well back. I could take care of myself very well. Mm. <clears throat> Excuse me. At least now I had the fund, but at that time I only had savings and. And the savings kept on going. Though, of course, when there's no money coming in and there's money yeah. going out, it keeps <laughs> going down, down, down. And the going and gradually it vanished. Mm. Uh, it took me a while to make money from Eurider and it was very tough mm. because I had a lot of factors that went against me. Mm. Some of them, federal government, but don't worry, we'll not talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> we- we will talk about the experience of having a rider, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> okay, so what actually kept me going at a certain time was that I had to connect to other founders, some in Nigeria, some outside Nigeria, and listen to their story. We had maybe a, a little bit of similarity, starting up something new, forgetting about looking for a job or even having a job and dropping off your job, start up something that had zero income. So listening to people's stories and, you know, seeing them walk through and getting established was my was my joy. Mm. Then I've always looked up to my cousin. He also started up something and he grew big. He started up Andela and Twitter and went very well. So I had those two people. I, I had him and other founders I have always been watching and reading as mentors. And that, that was exactly what just kept me going. Mm. Wow. So the stories of other people kept you going. Okay. So now you you left Nokia and you're like, I'm going to do this, your rider. What was your plan, you know, when you decided to go into to building your rider? Why did you even call it your rider? You know, and what was your plan getting in there? And when you got in there, what did you see? that made you realize that this might have been a bad idea. But you, I mean, you get what I mean? Like the challenge that you faced that, that made you start questioning like a lot of things. Or you didn't have any reason to question like what you were doing? Okay, so first, um, before getting into your rider, I had to do market analysis mm. first. So I, my, my interest was that this was a big business that could survive the full rot and the whole storm of COVID-19. Mm. In fact, from analysis, it went more, uh, it, it had a very trending um, graph during COVID because people needed to shop and they could not move. So they needed, to, they needed dispatch riders or logistics. So my, uh, it was very exciting for me and I had to research more about it. And for my market analysis, I noticed that a lot of these companies that were operating in Abuja at first didn't have websites, they didn't have anything tech, and uh, they were, op- they were operate, operating kind of an unoptimized way, which is, let me use Lagos. Which do you know better, Lagos or Abuja? Abuja. Lagos, okay. either way, but yeah. 
So um you might be staying in Wuse and you need a rider to come pick up a parcel at Wuse and you call this company. The only rider they have available for you is at um Kuji or Guarimpa. Mm. Of course, they will not want to lose the customer. They'll tell you, no problem, give us some time. Then they tell the rider at let me just grandpa. Mm. Come down to Wusni to pick up a parcel that I are sending to Lokogoma. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Lokogoma. Oh, yeah. Let me stay within Amak to say Lokogoma. So you can see the distance. You have to wait for a rider to come all the way from Guarimpa to Wusni to pick up an item going to Lokogoma. Now, mm. that has um, impacted two things. First, is a long pickup time mm. because you have to wait for him. Secondly, he has to charge you more because the guy is burning for from Guarimpa to Wuse. Mm. Then thirdly, there's a long drop off time because he has to travel from Guarimpa to Wuse, then to Lokogoma. But funny how there might be a dispatch rider already in Guarimpa, but you don't know, right? Mm. Because you are only you are limited by the contact you have. Yeah. So my idea was that these guys are making money, but they could make more money if they decide to optimize their way of work. Mm. So I called it your rider because I I needed my users um, on two arms, which is the logistic company and individual users, to see it as a product for them. So it was majorly going to onboard users. Um, which are logistic company, and you as um, you needing their service can just use the platform to search, and you see the closest person to you. So it was more like building for for them because they were losing money. Apart from for this, of course, high tier and wear on their on their on their on their vehicles because mm-hmm. you know you have to keep burning and traveling long distance just to get an order. Mm-hmm. So it was building for them. So I. It was more, more like your rider, like it's yours. So it was, um, it was unique. It was a unique product and a distinct product for for logistics. Majorly at that time for dispatch riders, I didn't see logistic why. I was just, you know, at that time targeting um, a little step of just dispatch riders. Mm. Mm. So dispatch riders, basically people who do not, who are not under like a logistic. Uh, logistics firm yes um not just people who are not under a logistics firm even if you have a, a logistic company but you do not have a tech backing a tech product backing you mm-hmm. so you have you have a registered logistics firm let me say victor logistics i have five bikes my five bikes go to scout for deliveries or i have maybe a whatsapp line so it means every customer has to call me then I call these guys, mm. you know, to request them to go pick up somewhere. It was also not so good because I noticed a lot of the accidents were based on diverted at- attention because they had to pick up calls. Yeah. So I actually built the product such in a way that you could, of course, see the the dispatch rather real time. So you have less need to call him. If you make a request and you can see the guy coming to you and two minutes away or a minute away, you know, you don't have to call him to say, hey, guy, where are you? Mm. Uh, are you coming or not? Then he also puts a kind of discipline for the riders because they know the customer comes to you. you know? Someone can say, I'm coming. Well, 
chilling somewhere yeah. on a tree. <laughs> He's chilling somewhere eating pepper soup. And, exactly. Uh, cold mugs. <laughs> so, you know, he, he was going to also put in a discipline to them to say, your customers can see you. Mm. So if you say you're coming, you have to really be on your way and not just just say, oh, yeah, I'll be there in five minutes and it takes you one hour. Mm. So it was to help the users not to call the riders while they're on high, maybe driving on the highway and mm. also um, help you connect it to the closest person to you. Mm. Mm. So this was supposed to be a platform that anybody could use. That so if I if I'm a user now, um, just to be clear, and I want and I want to do like a pickup and a delivery. Once I go on the app, I can see all the different dispatch companies and who is available, right? And I could request for the one closest to me, and it could be so so and so dispatch company, and I will use that person yeah. directly. So I don't yeah, need to yeah. know them. All I know is I, I'm using them. They probably don't even need to know me. Just my my order is attended to. Exactly. Um, yeah. Exactly. Interesting. Interesting. Okay, so you said you built the product. So this you even went as far as building like the platform. People started using it. What what, what was the what's the data like? How many people got to use it? Did you make any money? And even how did you go about building it? Did you take on like a co-founder or something, or you already skilled at building the platform? Okay, um, so at that time, when I needed to build the platform, I had, I was, my foundation, or I, I was in telecommunications, not, mm. um, I had diverted from computer science to telco, and this was a product I needed to build. So at that time, I had this classmate way back from secondary school, we got talking when I moved back to Abuja, he was based in Abuja, and, you know, I pitched out this idea to him. I'm seeing a big opportunity in a very big market. And he was like, yeah, this makes sense. So he was more into coding and all. So um, pitching the idea to him, we started working on it together. I had to start taking classes to learn how to code, mm -hmm. learning about product design, because we had to bring in, let's say, two more other guys to join us. Mm -hmm. And I was more like um, management at that time. So, of course, I don't want to be left on in, a, in another world when you tell me, so uh, we, need, we need this kind of code to do this. And I'm like, okay, because I don't understand. <laughs> so, uh, even if you cannot code so well, like maybe your DevOps guys, you should know, very, you should be very good at it. So, I decided to know about product design. I took up a course on it. I decided to know about front end, about back end. My my passion was not to learn how to code, but to know it so well that you cannot tell me something wrong mm. or I can manage you better. Mm. So I, I had that. So I had um I had to take up that course and we we built up the product with two additional guys and we had an MVP come up. So I of course I had small savings I had from it from Nokia. So I was able to pay up these guys to build up the product. And my friend I'm whom I met in Abuja became my my co-founder. Mm. So when you say you asked more savings and you could pay up, like how much did you pay for this MVP to come out? Uh okay. So um I spent on your rider personal experience close to about five million naira. Five hundred naira. 
million, sorry. Five to six million era savings. It says small savings. <laughs> <laughs> You're joking. <laughs> oh my god, it says small savings. Oh my god, that I didn't expect that. <laughs> I didn't expect that. Okay, so so this in itself is not an MVP. This is like a full blown product because this is this is money that you spent on this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the launch, like people started using it. How was how was that? So they have finished building it, getting people to start using it. Okay. So that's now, you know, happened differently than I thought. When we had the launch, I was building for personal users, individual users. So we had the launch. Uh, I did a little bit of publicity, flyers, social media, and all. I reached out to a few influential people I know. Hey, I have this product. How can you help me out to reach out to the market? And we had people stay using it. But what we noticed was that we had users. I can't remember. Let, let me say 500 users for, for, for an illustration. But what we noticed was that these users that we had at that time were users that did not need um, logistics on a daily basis. So I can ask you, throughout this week, how many dispatchers have you used for any reason? Uh, Maybe for, none. My own, for my own personal needs, right? You, yes, yeah, yeah. I think throughout this year, I've not had any reason to use it. <laughs> exactly. So we had users, but it was not turning out to um, numbers of delivery. Users were here for downloading and registering and all. So I have to take back that time we had um, the information. So I have to take back that information and see, okay, we have users. How come these users are not impacting to numbers of delivery? So I had to take back that information, and it was a time for me to think. And I stumbled into two things. We were preaching to the wrong people, and we spent money preaching to the wrong people. These people were reaching out to didn't need, or they, they, were, not our, they were not supposed to be our target market. Mm. People we should look out for majorly were social commerce sellers, water vendors. I sell Zobo drinks. I'm in my house. I advertise on WhatsApp every day. These are the people you should reach out to. And also corporate clients. So that changed my whole mentality. Again, I now had to go back into fixing the product for corporate because corporate needed API to include to their system. They needed a few other things, a dashboard and all. So I had to go back and optimize the product for corporate and I reached out to few corporates. So we have worked with Jumia, or we are working with Jumia, we are working with Konga, we had a partnership with Kuda Bank, and then revenues were coming in. So these were the guys that can do a thousand deliveries in a single day, or a mm hundred, -hmm. or five hundred, and more. Mm -hmm. So I had that information coming, and I was able to solve the problem. Mm. Wow. So this was like how many months into? Into like so from time of launch to when you had this realization, how long was that? It took me eight months to solve this problem. <laughs> <laughs> it took me eight months because I I I was lost. You know, okay, if you have users, when you have users, you have um people use your product and you have money. I have users, but I'm not having they are not using the product. Wow. 
I, I was confused. So it took me a while, you know, mm. to keep thinking and researching. And I was like, okay, Conga is more like uh, a, an online product catalog system. People shop every day. These guys do deliveries, yeah? Who handles that delivery? Can I reach out to them? And I just woke up one night around 12 a.m. and sent out mails to about 50 corporate organizations, like mm. um, Logistics, banks, and Kunga replied, Jumia replied, Kuda Bank replied, and as I said, you know, just merchant. Mm. And it changed the business entirely wow. from almost dying to, <laughs> to here to, to this stage that we are right now. So, so now, when you reached out to you know, Jumia, Kunga, and the rest, what did you tell them? Okay, so I, <laughs> I, I was reaching out to them with a mind knowing that they, of course, have a partner they were working with. Mm. Because they were reaching out to their customers, of course, it was not like they had an issue not reaching out. Mm. So I was coming up with the concept of selling the products differently. Mm. So I was able to have an organized meal, just a meal. It even cost me less. Uh, mm. So just a meal preaching out my product in a way that they could not really exist. So I was telling them that I'm giving them an opportunity to track their, their products, to know where their riders are. I will give them API plugins. I will give them a dashboard and all of our products entirely, which I, I, I knew a lot of the partners they were working with at that time did not have. Mm. So I was able to get a slot in because I had something unique from others mm. wow wow okay so you were able to come back alive um as a company but that required that you had to make changes to the product so yeah. this meant that like did you have to spend again to make those changes okay um i spent more trying to solve the problem because I was just doing Facebook ads and Instagram ads and I thought, okay, maybe it's because I'm doing 20,000. Let me do 50,000. Jesus Christ. And users to download. Yeah, we have users. Yeah, now, where's the, where's the, where's the money coming, coming in? And it was no money. Like, okay, maybe I need to do targets. You no, know, let's target Kupu at this time. And, all. and I kept on spending money. I was, see, the money was finished, you know. So, you know, when money is finished, then you have to think very well before you spend the money. You have to be more creative. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh my god! <laughs> so, um, uh, so at that time, uh, what I needed to do to solve um, to move to corporate was, I had to, of course, now you know, tweak the product to suit them. They, they, they are a different view entirely for mm-hmm. individual users. They don't need an app. Junior yeah, cannot download an app, of course. Mm-hmm. So I, I needed to work on a corporate dashboard and an API. Mm-hmm. This means that when you are shopping on Jumia and you go to checkout, you pay your money for your dress, that it can automatically integrate to our system without anybody picking up any phone to call anybody. Yeah. You get, and we sit at our back end and this partner is sent out to pick the items and all. So that was what we were able to create with our corporate clients and we had to do more because, of course, some of these clients were not even seeing that they had a need for logistics. Like Kuda Bank, of course, if you're wondering 
How yeah. can could have you the logistic company? So because the their their system of banking was just one bank, they have just one bank in Yaba handling the whole of Nigeria. And they have ATM cards, right? The yeah. ATM cards have to get to their users. So of course they need logistics. Yeah. So we start to them and we also show them our dashboard and all of that. So we had to just tweak a little bit. It costs me small some money, mm-hmm. but it was better. Uh, it was a better money we all spent than doing ads, which I was just doing before, and there was no wow. interest coming in. Wow. So, like, how much did you spend making those updates and changes and upgrades? Okay. So at that time, I was already running out of money. I didn't have money, so I had to of course talk to the team. Yeah, I'll be working with me. I have paid them for most of the job mm. on time and also at that time I, I think I spent more like about five hundred more or six hundred mm. into the- getting yeah those changes. So did you get the offers from the um these companies, Kuda Bank and Jimmy at first before making the changes or you made changes like problem before reaching out? Okay, so you know when you are when you are going to work, you have to get prepared. <laughs> so I have to make the changes first, mm-hmm. and um, all these guys didn't come easily. I would tell you, wow. um, Bank had to interview me. Wow. Can I see your system? Can I, can we see your dashboard? Yeah, you know they are sending out sensitive documents. They are yeah. ATM card, of course, can get missing, can get stolen. So how can we track and all? They have to prepare. Imagine me going out to pitch to them that I can do this, and they're like, "Okay, how can you do this? Can you show show us?" And like, "Okay, give me two weeks, sir. Eh? I will call you when I fix it." <laughs> <laughs> so I had to go prepared, and I had this first before I reached out to them. Wow! So it, it was a very rigorous process. It took you like how long to be able to convince one partner? How long? Uh about when you sent about, the email. About a month. Wow. Which back and forth, sending on meals. Can we see this? Can we have this meeting? Do you have this document before? Mm-hmm. Are you licensed in Nigeria and all mm-hmm. of that? So, yeah, it all happened. So, you have to even get licensing, nine post licensing, um, or, or yeah, 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 nine post. Yeah, and that was another that was another chaotic <laughs> one. <laughs> did you yeah. how much did you spend for that one for that license? Okay, so Nipos came out as a shocker. I, I wasn't expecting it to be that high. Uh, regulatory license for regional, which is like not, is 2 million era. For what? national, is 3. For international, is 20 million era. <laughs> <laughs> so at that time, I was like, what is all this? I don't want mm-hmm. to get this product. Where am I going to get 2 million era for license? Okay, these people, that job will not <laughs> But, you know, I had to struggle and I got the license because I need to operate and I don't want to be having a makeshift business, you know, hiding from regulators there and there. So this money had to just come out from somewhere. Mm. And it was a very, very tough one. Wow. All right, guys. So quick one before we get back into the story. I know you're already having like a great time and I'm really sorry for breaking that flow but i need to let you guys know about something um that will be happening very soon and that is for every single um 
um, season, we're going to have an expert to come talk to us. And, and here's why. Uh, you know, listening to these stories is really amazing. It's inspiring. There are so many lessons and tips that you can actually take home. But I understand, you know, being a startup advisor, that there is a need for practical steps, you know, frameworks, models, and systems that can be taken, you know, and applied to specific situations so that we can resolve problems that, are, that you know, pop up, similar problems that pop up uh, amongst uh, most early stage startup founders. And so, you know, I found um, that there's a need to bring in that expert opinion. So this means that for every season, the last episode of every season would be me sitting down with an expert and we'll just be looking at similarities in the lessons and the stories of the founders that we've interviewed for that season. And that means that you get to take home as a founder, practical principles, books, you know, processes, courses that you can also take advantage of, things that you can apply to a specific situation. For example, calculating valuation. Yes, you've probably heard some of these founders talk about valuation, but they won't won't talk about it in very detailed form because, I mean, we're telling a story. But that that expert session is supposed to help break down those things into things that you can apply specifically so guys stay tuned to the last episode of this season and yes we'll be rounding up this season very soon i just have you know just one or two stories left for this season and then we'll be done we'll be back um with the expert session so stay stay tuned guys stay tuned Wow, that's huge. That's huge. So, what happened? Because you're obviously not doing that now. So, what? <clears throat> what would I? How would I put this now? Maybe <clears throat> challenges that you faced that made you decide to just. I know you. You told me what made you make a U-turn, but what other signs do you think you saw at that time? And like, what lessons can like any founder actually take from that experience? Okay, so your radar is still existing fine. Okay. My transition to near peace was that I started working with Konga, and at that time, or uh, even still up to now, we would take out deliveries now, depending on what you up for. There's prepayment and there's postpaid. Mm-hmm. So going out for deliveries, sending my team for deliveries, and you need, you need to receive payment. Um, they had a lot of issues. They might get to you maybe after like 50 deliveries or 100 or 10 or 20, the US machine is dead and they can't charge your card anymore. So there's an issue and you know, people will transfer money and the money will take donkey years to come through. Or um, we had a lot of issues with names. Names recorded uh, about... I think for every 10 trials, there's like four failures, kind of like that, on POS standard, or five. That's, that, that's so high. Uh, at a certain time, especially during this um, cash scarcity that recently happened. So we, we had issues. You know, people were debited, we didn't receive money. So I was, I was concerned because, yes, it was affecting my business. I was at start paying for, um, for losses because after delivering, for my guys, um, for my team delivering, you know, parcels and um, maybe trying to charge a card and the money never comes through. You know, we have to do 
of of course cash clear uh, partners, maybe Kunga Junior or anyone else, and they don't want to hear money is missing, of course. So we had, I had to start putting back my money to pay for losses. And it was coming on into like every single day. Mm. I, of course, again, I had to go back and think, this is another problem. So how can you stop this? And that's how Nearface came, came up to life. Wow. Wow. Okay, so maybe we should come back a bit. So we've been talking about the customer end, but there's also yeah. the dispatch rider end. Did you when you were making that transition did you have to like uh, make changes to how you you know you got your dispatch riders did you still leverage other logistic partners or you 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 had to get your own like bike and train your dispatch riders okay so at first um getting into the business i need to understand how the business works so i i I bought two bikes that was really back you know trying to understand personally how these guys work and I learned a lot of things. Wow. Majorly, what I what I learned from there was that it was very important to include rider education into your business, which a lot of companies might not consider. They were just not going to consider. So, because a lot of these guys can might not come in from um, a good position with good education. Yeah. So, of course, you have to lecture them, tell them. Um, uh, about you know roadworthiness first, then about even their personal approach to people and mm-hmm. also to the company. So there was a very very big need for education, which I, I think a lot of companies are just not thinking about that. There's, there's a very big need for to educate these people. So it taught me that. So I had a few bikes for test, but of course the product was majorly for logistic company to leverage on our platform and not for us to have bikes. So. We're not going to compete with our uh, with our uh, with our users. <laughs> if I'm saying I have just a software company, bring your bikes and make money like something like that, and you bring your bike, and now the next day, and I order for ten bikes. Like uh-uh, you are beginning to compete with your customers. <laughs> so I'm not going to compete with them, of course. Uh, I just had those two bikes, and I was going to wait until they wear off, and then uh, I have zero bikes because you're already in the system. So I didn't, I didn't appeal to having more bikes anymore. It was just you know, bringing people in. So the people who had registered on our platform, we connect them with these partners. Mm. And um, they already started working with our corporate partners and all of that. So uh, all I needed to do more because uh, I needed to start transitioning these guys to get to use page was just continue the education, the other education I already started. So basically, when um you are onboarding any of these logistic partners, you take them to like a proper training of how things work. Um, what about the safety of the product? Because these are just like you mentioned, sensitive products of um these partners, right? Belonging to yeah. their own customers. So how do you ensure that you know the logistic partners actually do what they're supposed to do? And in cases where they did not do what they're supposed to do, what measures did you put in place? Yeah. Um, on why is to run a kind of business like this without insurance. This is a very high risk business. Yeah. You you have you can have a accident and theft and all. So I had insurance, very good insurance. Also, do I don't let these guys go <laughs> before the transaction? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I have a good insurance. Then there's something called GIT, good insurance insurance. So while the apart from the bike insurance or life insurance is GIT. Hmm. Goods in transit, so it 
secures your products while they are being delivered to say yeah. if you bought a smartphone from Konga and I'm going to deliver your iPhone 14 down to your house, doorstep delivery, of course, mm-hmm. and something happens, unfortunately, and the product gets damaged, my insurance company will, of course, pay for it immediately. So I, I have a good transit insurance first, cover for my end, and I always advise and push people and corporate, I'm sorry, logistic companies I'm onboarding to have insurance. Mm. So if the accident happens first, possibly they are delivering something and their bike has an accident, before their insurance company pays, because I have a very good insurance company that pays very fast, I will pay the money ahead. So all I need to do is like pay to the user or, or the client and get my money back from it's my log- yeah yeah my logistic my registered logistic company. Okay. So it's like a two-way thing. I don't have to tell the customer to wait to get money. Maybe okay to take one month or two months and they are mm. panicking because it's going to be very very sad if you are threatening your phone to me and unfortunately there's an accident and I'm going to need three weeks. Of course, you you won't be happy that you keep panicking. So I can pay you instantly, like immediately, while I get my money from a logistic company because they have insurance, yeah. and I also have my insurance also to cover for the for the um incident. Wow, wow, great stuff, great stuff. So now this is this is definitely a more or less like a B two B. So there's not a lot of you don't invest a lot in marketing because I mean all you have to just find right. Or do you still do a little bit of marketing? Uh, yeah, I still do marketing for, but from a different uh, perspective and uh, pattern entirely. Hmm. Not too much of social media anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, gone are those days when you had to spend on targeted ads, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, this is this is your rider has been around for how long now? For. Two years plus. Two years plus. Two years. And what what's the re- revenue like? Um, ARR, MRR. Um. Okay. So previously it was the idea was just bike, but again we transitioned into trucks and all of that. Mm-hmm. So my idea was create a platform, and people who have vehicles. And use your platform. So, um, I was able to find a loop, um, or would like an opportunity in, uh, and with Kongan, uh, and um, it helped my revenue. So I have to tell the story before I tell you how much we made. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so I, I wanted to do interstate delivery. I wanted to go from just, um, just um, last mile into um, first mile, which is interstate delivery. And I don't want to buy trucks. How can I do this? So I noticed that um, Konga would pick up items from Lagos down to Abuja. When you shop on their store, they bring up their items with their trucks down. And they take their trucks back empty because they really don't have anything they're taking backwards to Lagos. So I pushed them. Yeah, you're making money, but you're you're also losing money. You're not making money well. Why can't I provide an opportunity for your trucks to go back to Lagos fully loaded. Are you making more money? Hmm. Yes, I'm making enough money from bringing items from Lagos and people are paying for it. But why do you have to go back empty? 
and it was an opportunity so I could handle interstate delivery from Lagos to Abuja without owning a truck. Hmm. And that was so nice. So I, I, I could leverage on that opportunity. And uh, so with that, it, my, the revenue grew up from scratch, scratch, 100K to 200K into stepping into millions. Yeah. <laughs> if it's, um, and um, right now, I would, I would say for just a cluster, of our delivery of our um, of our area of, of coverage like um we have sub suburb coverage like um areas like Bogwalada, yeah. from um, regions like that um within two months or less and we did close to about twenty thousand in those just those areas and we are mounted regions so so the um interstate delivery so who jumped on that bus like to use Jumia's interstate delivery? So it was like another partner of yours, basically, that you proposed the opportunity to to actually leverage Conga's um boss or be Jumia's boss, right? Yeah, so it was Conga. I what I did was I, I needed an opportunity to do interstate. Mm. So I, I I was not just going to sit in Abuja and just do just cluster deliveries around. I, I was there was a need to move items of course Lagos Abuja was my first opportunity mm-hmm. and I saw the I saw what I could pitch out to Konga so I did it for myself while I partner with others so I'm like the direct loop with Konga and others are like behind looping me so they uh, can reach out to their customers to say we can handle interstates they give me the parcel, I organize it well, I send it through Conga, and everybody has money. Mm. So, did it mean that you now became a logistic, like an actual, like you had to get the space, do the sorting, do the packaging? Or... Okay. <laughs> that was the responsibility <laughs> of the company. Okay, so I was going to insist on having just my software. For the space, I also partnered with another logistic company that has a space. Mm. So we're just going to do my software and no, um, no, no fiscal assets. My mm. my my drive from for your other from the one was zero assets, just yeah. software. Yeah. So I had to partner with um another um, um logistic company that had a warehouse, mm-hmm. and everybody has of course a profit in it. Yeah. We have a warehouse in some states. Like mm. in, in a few states in Nigeria, but they are not our warehouse. They are people's warehouse mm. that are ready to partner with us. So mm. if you have a warehouse, you are not fully utilizing the warehouse space. Why don't you come on board? We we'll partner with you. We we'll keep items. Everybody takes money, and everything is fine. Mm. Yep. Wow, wow, that's like a very smart move, to be honest. Sort of reminds me of a, a company like this. Um, he was the founder of Ship. Um, but she had to shut down. But um, from yeah. that, he started Airhouse, uh, which is very similar to what what you have. But I think they're in the US. They're in the US, actually. Yeah. But yeah, only software, no assets. Incredible product, incredible business that you have going on. And now you want to get into fintech. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... I know that the problem you observe is is actually going to affect your business, but do you intend to just keep it as a B two B to only serve the customers that you um 
are currently serving to you know help your business or you want to start exploring to making this available to all the different users around you know the continent mm, okay my intention is not to of course limit it um i have i always dream big yeah. <laughs> So even going into fintech, I never wanted to go into fintech. I was like, okay, I've had opportunities to pitch in a few places, to Numelu, to Lions Den, and you know, pitching out people are more interested into in fintech. So I was like, what is all about? What is what is what is fintech all about? Why is it only fintech? The other aspect, like, must it be fintech? I've never loved. I never wanted to do fintech. <laughs> I never was interested, though, as I said earlier, I, ha- I have a cousin that is into fintech and he has done well in the industry and all, and I always look up to him and he's like part of my mentor, but I never wanted to do fintech at all. But it just came. I was already inside before I realized, oh, Victor, the fintech you don't like, you're doing it, you're doing it, you're doing it. <laughs> so um, when the piece came, it was not just going to solve my problem, it was already positioned out for the Nigeria market and beyond. Even from development stage, working with a few people, we already had deals like outside Nigeria, people mm-hmm. saying, oh, okay, so I want this product in this country. How can we partner with you? And we're yet to even know that all. Mm-hmm. So we already had people that were ready to, that had um, stores, that already had POA, that are ready to come to use Nearpage because it was, um, also going to give them far more what we than what they currently have using the normal PS system. So um, I was limiting it first to Nigeria. You know, you know, um, first when you want to expand this, start a structure, make your structure sound, even if it's in one tiny area. Once you have a small structure that works in a dot, the sky is your stepping stone, so you can spread very fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very easy. So it was first um, Nigeria, then gradually we touch out other African countries and um, can go beyond. Mm-hmm. But uh, it came f- uh, faster than I expected. So we are yet to launch and we already had people coming outside Nigeria to request for whitelisting from our product. Wow. Wow. So, okay. Um, I don't know if this is the last question, but yeah. I, I want to ask this question. And it's really, you started your rider and it was, it was quite a very, will I say, shaky start with the challenges that you experienced. And now you're starting near pace and it seems like it's a different foundation. What would you say is the difference between how you started your rider and how you're starting near pace? Um, so for your rider, I had zero experience in entrepreneurship. Because I will not classify my rabbit business as <laughs> So yes, I had the experience. And I learned from mistakes. I had to make mistakes and learn. Uh, oh yeah, I did it wrong. I did that wrong. So I was uh I I, I made those mistakes already. Starting near pace, I was starting from a better position. Mm. I have a couple of years or maybe two or a bit more than two years in this journey. So I've been able to understand how business works. So it would be very funny if I had to make the same mistake I made with your rider, of course not. So I had already learned, I built myself. Uh, I knew that even if I'm a 
um, an entrepreneur. I need to know how to do my bookkeeping. I need to know this. I need to read these books. Mm-hmm. I need to study this. This is what I need to do. I don't need to push too fast. You know, I already made those mistakes. You're right and as a young entrepreneur, I wanted my business to be everywhere. So let's, let's do this. Let's spend this money. Mm-hmm. But right now, I'm coming from a position of knowledge I've learned. So I'm in a better position, maybe not the best position, because FinTech is a new line for me. Yeah. I've started reading books about FinTech right now, because <laughs> I don't know. But I have learned from my previous startup. And so it's going to be better than what I did first. Wow. Wow. So knowledge. I mean, that's, yes. that word is, I mean, there's this saying that, that goes, knowledge is power. And truly, truly, it, it is actually power. I mean, that's one of the major reasons why I'm doing this um, podcast, to give people access to knowledge. You don't have to make the same mistakes that Victor made if you actually know the mistakes that you shouldn't make as early as possible, right? So, uh, so l- let's make it a, a bit more like, let's talk about your your team right okay. yeah well, what's your team like um okay for starters for starters i i had to have my guys wear many hats you know <laughs> one person doing traffic because <laughs> of limitations to phone yeah. to phone but um i have my team are the most important aspect of my business and covering so for any startup, you need your finance to be covered. Yeah. Of course, you need your DevOps, depending on what you're building. And uh, you also need to do a bit with um, customer support. Yeah. You might not see it too needful. Customer support might not be too needful for you, but it's like one of the most important. Because the best gift you can give any business is feedback. Yeah. The business can be dying. Like literally dying, and the, the founder doesn't know until he's dead. <laughs> they can just be, you know, yeah, business is fine because he might be selling out a product, possibly toothbrush, and people are already giving bad feedback that your toothbrush is too strong and it's affecting their gum and their bleeding where they brush. But you don't know, yeah, like, okay, I have a business and everything is fine until mm-hmm. suddenly people stop buying your toothbrush. You don't know. Mm-hmm. So if you're having those feedback of someone saying, okay, I, I used a brush yesterday and my girl is bleeding today. They need they have to you know, take that information. I know that yes, the the bricks of your brush is too hard. It can make it softer to work on, you know, gentle touch on people's teeth. So feedback is very important. Mm-hmm. Customer support is uh, once I start anything, that's the first thing I do. I need to get feedback to know that's how I can improve on what I built. Yeah. And then uh, of course I mentioned your DevOps team. So right now for me, I have my I have someone who works with my finance. I have someone who works in customer support. I have a, I have HR and I have my DevOps team. Then I also have um, people who work in development, like the business development aspect. Like getting sales. Yeah, getting sales and uh, for any additions we might need at all. Wow. So wow, it's, it's a very small, it's a small setup, but it works. <laughs> yeah, it works. Okay, the physical, like you guys, miss, no, no remote work. Everybody's missing physically. No, no, it's, it's, it's purely remote. Purely remote. Wow, remote work, and you've made it. You've made it work. You've made yeah. it work. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. 
Okay, so okay, finally, finally, right? Um, if you were to summarize your lessons of you know leading your team, leading the organization that you have going, and then you know starting this new one, about to lead a fintech um, journey, um, what would you say are like the major takeaways, like the major lessons from everything that a founder would need when he's about to start, or she's about to start, or she has started and trying to scale or grow. <clears throat> All right, so I've learned that you need three things very importantly when you're building for any business entirely, any business. First is the people, the workflow, then your tool. So you need to work on your staffing or would I say the people helping you to develop your product. And um, I've been able to do that for for working with people I've been able to do that is I I try as much as I can because okay I, I have um still a, a small circle of people to know how um everybody works personally. So and um for people to really buy into your idea and work on your product very well, you need to break it down to their own understanding. Because if they don't understand, they will just do their job in the best way they can. So they might define your product in in a way that it seems right to them. Mm. And that might be a failure point for you. So for about people, I can tell you this short story. Mm. If I have uh, the opportunity to remember that very short story. So no, yeah, you like, can. Please go ahead. Okay. Thank you. So it's like um, you have five guys blindfolded. It's just a story, and in front of them you have an elephant, and you tell the first guy, touch, maybe you take the trunk of the elephant, holding this trunk, what do you feel? And um, the first guy comes out and says, oh, this looks like a stem or a tree. Mm. Take him back, take out the second guy, touch the tail, what do you feel? So oh, no, of course this is a finish now. The second person goes and touch the back of the elephant, like, it seems like a rough wall. Mm. Now, that's just one entity, elephant. But these guys, without knowledge, because they're blindfolded, they are interpreting it in different ways. One is saying it's a trunk, one is saying it's a pill, but it's just an, an entity, an elephant. So if people do not understand the product itself, what will happen is that your graphic designer will interpret it with the knowledge he knows. Your DevOps guy will interpret it with the knowledge he knows. And you cannot bring a consistent product to the market. Mm. So the first thing is that you have to open their eyes to understand that this product is an elephant. Then they understand. So when he is designing, he's designing things that elephants will like. He designed grasses and all of that, not something else because he understands. So you have to give them knowledge. One most important thing that people do not really take very um, important to building a business is you need um, constant um, teaching, like tutoring for your staff. Have time where you guys come and you discuss and you learn. Not just um, working, you have to position a time where you guys have to learn, learn about the business, you know, lecture them, make them, make sure 
they also get educated about business, about, about entrepreneurship, then they can build something better. Then they can you know, be more effective. Mm-hmm. I, I learned this from Nokia. We always take courses and, you know, uh, it, it really helped me to grow. Then secondly is uh, your tools. So also you, you need to find tools that work for you and um, building concepts that would suit your business. Then also is your workflow. I've been able to find a workflow that works for me. I do remote and it works fine. If your business needs um, possibly fiscal presence, then you might not have to do remote. Remote might not work for all businesses entirely. So you need to find what works for you on your personal level. And uh, I think those three things you should be able to scale up. And also, uh, when you're having a team, don't build based on people's pattern. Kind of like to say, okay, uh, because everybody tell, tell you structure is very important. Yeah, that structure of business cannot be so you can go up hiring staffs everywhere, mm-hmm. and <laughs> your finances is not matching up the numbers of people you have. So that's that's like an easy way for you to just crash in a very short period of time. So you you must learn to have a staff strength that works for you. Funny how in a bit. Some guys might have to wear double hats, you know, take up two responsibilities. Mm-hmm. A lot of people will tell you, oh, that's wrong. But it's better for you to manage at that length than to have an additional person you cannot pay salary for. Mm-hmm. And we need to, of course, the closure of the company because you run out of money. Yeah. So you need to study what you can afford. If at the uh, if at a point you can't afford any staff or maybe just two or three staff, then go and learn how to use Excel and do your bookkeeping yourself. Mm-hmm. So it's it's better off you 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 have the staff you can manage, especially financially, than having a robust team with um, everybody designated to just one thing and you know you can't meet up. And you know most startups when you are starting up you do not have so much to do, so you end up having people idle. Yeah. And when this, uh, when you have a lot of idle people, you know, the for people that are even working, they will divert their attention and all of that. So it's just best to limit your staffing to what you can afford, and to the um, also to the growth of your business. As you expand, then you can have more people coming. Please. Wow! Wow! What a very robust advice. <laughs> Very, very robust advice. This this has been an awesome session, Victor. I definitely, definitely enjoyed and I learned a lot as well about your journey um, in building. It, it ended up being more about your rider than near <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but I mean, we got a bit of both. I'm sure by the time near you know, starts becoming like a fully developed team, we're definitely going to have you back um, but you can now tell us about your journey of um, building your pace into a fully blown company. Um, but yeah, it's been a great session. Do you think there's any question that, you know, I should have asked that I haven't asked that you want to actually share something that you want to share? Um, thinking about it, um, no. Okay. No, no. Okay. Okay. I think we covered up everything here. Awesome. Awesome. So there you have it, guys. Uh, This has been an awesome session and I'll see you on the next one.
Alright, so there you have it. Thank you so much for listening up to this point. I'm really excited that you stayed all the way to this point where you're hearing my voice. But don't just keep this to yourself. Share with community, friends, family, startup founders that you know will really, really need this. And also, send me a DM of how this has helped you or in what way you were blessed by it. You can send me an email, send me a VN. I'll be really, really excited to receive it. All right, there you have it. I remain Cynthia Ichisum, and this is Startup Stories with Cynthia.